This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. We've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to check in with Mike Nag, the Iowa Secretary of Agriculture, here in just a minute. Then in segment two, we're going to speak with Michael Dykes, President and CEO of the International Dairy Foods Association, about the work they have been doing in conjunction with the Port of Los Angeles to keep dairy exports moving. And in segment three, Ryan Young, a senior fellow from the Competitive Enterprise Institute, will be joining us. Regulatory reform is in the news and Ryan's going to give us some updates on what we could perhaps do to streamline that process and then finally at the end of the show we're going to check in with meteorologist Greg Solier about the third day of this heat wave across the central part of the country and what to expect is that severe weather risk moves east so let's tune in with Mike Nag here Iowa Secretary of Agriculture folks it was reported earlier this week late last week another HPAI case was found in Colorado in a poultry facility but it has been a while since since HPAI, high path avian influenza, was discovered in Iowa. Secretary Nag, have we turned the corner on bird flu here in 2022? Yeah, good morning, Mike. And, and we have, we have in Iowa, although these new cases that we've had, you know, a couple here in the last week or so, it's a reminder that this is still a threat. And so while we uh, will say, yes, uh, uh, we're at the tail end of the response, we're, we're in the process of lifting quarantines in the state of Iowa, it does not mean that producers can uh, take their foot off the gas when it comes to biosecurity. And, and that's just that's just how it is in livestock, in animal agriculture uh, these days, is folks really need to be focused on controlling disease and preventing those foreign animal diseases in particular. Absolutely, they do, Mike. And the industry has gotten much better about that since the last outbreak right. of 2014-2015. As this one winds down and the industry returns to normal, I imagine the postmortem will be beginning soon. Are there any things you'd like to see the industry continue to change or that this outbreak highlighted? And you're, you're spot on. We're, we're entering now a very, very important phase of this of this incident, and that is the look back. Uh, we absolutely will learn things, and we certainly learned things between 2015 and, and this year, and certainly among those was uh, the fact that we needed to act quicker to detect, quicker to depopulate, and then uh, all of that contributes to a lower virus load that you're trying to, uh, to contain, and I think that was a huge piece of it, and then, of course, that enhanced biosecurity on the farm. We did not see the kind of lateral movement or farm-to-farm -farm movement that we saw in 2015. Again, that's a testament to really good biosecurity planning, but more than planning, it's actually doing every single day. So those were huge lessons learned. Uh, we will absolutely do that again with our partners at USDA with the industry. But I, I think this really comes down to producers showed an incredible amount of ownership over the situation, and uh, they control their farms. They know their farms better than anybody. Now, how do we apply some of those lessons to how we would approach African swine fever and foot and mouth disease? Very important phase of, of uh, this outbreak is upcoming now. 
Yes, it certainly is. It'll be great to get that that report, the changes, and move this industry forward. Mike, speaking of moving forward, you recently wrote an editorial in the Des Moines Register calling for more processing capacity. I know that the state of Iowa, under under you and the Secretary of Ag Department, has had the Butchery Innovation and Revitalization Fund for a few years now. Tell us, how has that program gone for the state of Iowa? Boy, this has been a really a, a bright spot. I, I'd love to get out and visit our, our small meat lockers. And I've, uh, we've had some recent conversations with some of our mid-sized processors like, like West Liberty Foods. And of course, we're really excited about the potential for some additional players to enter the space, especially on the beef processing side. So uh, the, at the end of all of this, what we, what we know and what we believe is that we will all benefit. Consumers will benefit from more players in the processing space. We still need the very large processors. We need mid-sized processors. We need small. And so what we did coming out of 2020, we provided through CARES Act funding uh, innovation grants to, uh, to small meat lockers to help improve their capacity. Based on the success of that, about $4 million went out to, to, those, to those locker plants to help them expand. The state of Iowa established an ongoing, it'll be an annual appropriation and a grant program that will focus on this for years to come. So, again, this is buying critically important equipment or upgrading facilities, uh, all of that means more opportunity for livestock producers, more options for consumers. That's fantastic, Mike. But I hear from a lot of packers, processors, local lockers that labor remains an ongoing challenge in that space. Is there anything more we can be done that can be done from the state level to improve the labor issues? Boy, this is absolutely uh, spot on. Uh, the number one issue that I hear uh, from folks is that they have trouble with workforce. Of course, that's part of these innovation grants is that you can try to bring in some equipment to help automate some processes or make your your process more efficient and, and uh, you know allow those employees that you do have the ability to do more work. And so that's one piece of it is that innovation side. But we've got to look all across the board. We Longer term strategies of making sure that young people, students, FFA students have a chance to compete in meat judging contest and that more people know about the business of, of meat and meat science and that's a longer term play. We need to look at, uh, uh, you know, in Iowa, we're going to be creating some community college, uh, you know, one year certificate programs to help prepare this workforce. And then I believe we absolutely must look at, uh, you know, ag visa programs. And I know uh, Congressman Feenstra, for instance, is heavily focused on this, but we've got to figure out how we can uh, accommodate for more workers in these essential industries. Absolutely, Mike. Circling back to that Butchery Innovation Program, that CARES Act was one-time funding, that $4 million. The mm -hmm. annual appropriation, is that a fixed amount or will it fluctuate based on the demands in the space? You know, we're looking at a fixed amount right now at the state level, but I will tell you that there's a lot of interest in continuing to grow that. We wanted to walk before we run. We wanted to show some success, show a return on that investment. And so I believe that there'll be an interest on the part of legislators to continue to grow that uh, $750,000 program now. Uh, but I think there's an opportunity for that to expand should the demand remain high, which, which we expect. Indeed, we do, Mike. And of course, you are part of NASDA, the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Have you seen other states look to Iowa's program to try and emulate it in their uh, jurisdiction? You know, you think back to 2020 and 2021, there were a lot of great ideas shared across the state. And so, yes, I believe that some have looked at what we've done, and I know that we've benefited from talking to and looking what, at what others have done as well. So this is one of those things that right across the country, 
there's an interest in more processing, more players. Again, this all helps consumers because there's more options, but it also gives our livestock producers even more market opportunities. Absolutely, Mike. And of course, you'll be out and about as summer gets underway. Big plans to head to the state fair or other events in Des Moines this year? <laughs> oh, I, I'm always excited. That's like the culmination of the summer. Uh, I call it the Super Bowl of agriculture. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of county fairs that will be going on throughout the year, and I'm excited for those as well. So it's, uh, it's a great time to be traveling and great to see folks out and about. And of course, we're always thrilled to see our young people competing at our great fairs. Absolutely. That was really my first introduction to production agriculture showing at the <laughs> Madison County Fair. Our thanks to Mike Neg, Iowa's Secretary of Agriculture. Mike, thanks for joining us today. You bet. And folks, stick around. Michael Dykes, President and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association, will join us here on AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up soil the final frontier these are the voyages of the soil ship enterprise to explore soil life to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before farmer's log soil date 31655.4 we've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms we didn't have to travel far to find them but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system they help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops they've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. It's been our legacy year after year, and we're proud of our heritage. At FS, our focus has been on improving growers' profitability by developing leading products and services to advance operations. Year after year, we've been committed to pointing the way forward. So visit fssystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. 
They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. Yesterday, there was a press briefing in Los Angeles between Gene Soroka, the head of the Port of Los Angeles, and Michael Dykes, president and CEO of the International Dairy Foods Association. Of course, it's no surprise that supply chains have been top of mind for anybody engaged in the global trade of agricultural products. These two gentlemen, no exception. And yesterday, they provided an update on the alliance between the Port of Los Angeles and the IDFA. Joining me today to talk about it is President and CEO of the IDFA, Dr. Michael Dykes. Dr. Dykes, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Pleased to be here. Let's talk about that alliance between the IDFA and the Port of Los Angeles. Mike, this was started back in December. Tell us a little bit about what caused it to develop. Mike, our members, uh, IDFA, uh, we have a wide membership. Uh, we represent uh, multinational companies. We represent uh, privately held companies. We met, represent food retailers, co-packers. Uh, I just like to say our members start when the drop of milk leaves the farm. And if it's made from milk, chances they are a member of IDFA. Our members process about 90% of the milk produced in this country. So we have a broad membership. Our members are the exporters. We represent the, the broadest of all of the dairy industry. So exports is extremely important to our members. Uh, we export, Mike, about one day of milk per week. About 16% of the milk produced goes into the exports. So we saw immediately that we needed to get these containers filled with dairy products uh, going uh, to uh, 141 different countries that we export to, that our members export to. And we wanted and business solutions to these things. So had a call with Gene Soroka, the executive director of the Port of Los Angeles back in December. Uh, we've talked to almost every one of the ocean uh, vessel companies, the ocean freight companies. Uh, CMA, CGM, based out of France, was the one that stepped up and said, let's get to work and let's work together to find business solutions. And we wanted, our members are business folks. We wanted business solutions and we needed immediate solutions. Policy is fantastic, but it takes a while for the policy to pass the Congress and then it takes a while for the implementing regulations to go into effect. So we wanted business solutions. Uh, CMA, uh, Gene Soroka, and our CEO leaders of our companies, we got together, we discussed the problems, we found solutions. And I'm pleased to say, Mike, that across the first 21 weeks of 2022, we've seen a 53.7% increase in containers filled with dairy products across all ports. And we've seen a 110% increase at the port of LA. Uh, so I, I am so pleased with the alliance we have. We have met with the Port of Long Beach. We've met with Oakland. We've met with SeaTac. 
Uh, we've met with all the ocean carriers, as, as I said. Uh, we've closely coordinated with Secretary Vilsack, uh, the White House, the Federal Maritime Commission uh, uh, Chairman Maffei, and with uh, Department of Transportation. So I'm pleased with the results. We would encourage other uh, vessel companies to step forward, work with us like CMA has. Uh, but uh, our work's not finished, but we're pleased with the results, Mike. Absolutely. A 110% increase in dairy containers strictly from the Port of Los Angeles. Michael, that is incredible. As you think about the work that your partnership, Port of LA, CMA, CGM, and IDFA have, have come together, what were the solutions that you folks found to improve this dairy export capability from that port? You know, uh, Mike, I would say a, uh, a commitment from the top leadership of uh, our IDFA member companies that are exporters uh, to uh, work directly with CMA, uh, explain the problem CMA had, uh, and our members working to address those, and CMA understanding the limitations of what our companies could do and working to address those. And that includes such things as uh, turnaround times. I mean, we. It takes us uh, time to get a container, empty container, get it clean, get it filled, get it returned to the port. Uh, we have to find chassis. We have to find trucks that can do that. Uh, we understand they don't like ghost bookings, so they pull up to get the containers because they've been booked, and then the containers don't show up. So we worked on those things. We needed more uh, interface between rail. So we've uh, been able to work with CMA and coordinate on rail cars coming. Uh, because as you know, Mike, imports come into urban America. Exports originate from rural America. So we have to bridge and connect those two worlds. So those are some of the examples of some of the things we've done, uh, uh, Mike, but uh, I've been pleased thus far. We've got more work to do. And as I said, we would encourage more uh, ocean vessels to step forward and work with us. But we like the model we've created. This alliance has paid us dividends and uh, it's serving our members well. Absolutely. And finding that business solution so so long ago, six six months ago now, has enabled the growth in that sector so far. Meanwhile, the policy actions have been happening. Michael, yesterday we saw the uh, the passage of the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. And I'm curious, the, uh, the partnerships that you developed, did any of those ideas work their way into this policy, the OSM, uh, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act? Well, yes, uh, we have been staunch supporters of the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, and uh, you know I want to applaud uh, Senator Thune uh, and uh, uh, Senator Klobuchar, uh, Congressman Dusty Johnson, who's been pivotal on this, and uh, Garamandi from California. We've met with all of them. We met with them repeatedly during our IDFA strategic legislative fly-ins. We have been supportive. We met with the FMC uh, uh, Commission Chairman, uh, former Congressman Maffei. Uh, we support it. It will help put some disciplines around uh, containers being filled versus going back empty. It will help put some guardrails around when, when and how demerge fees are charged. But it will take a while to write, now that it's passed, it will take a while, uh, six months to a year, to write the implementing regulations. So we'll see how those are written. We intend to participate in that process. We'll comment where possible. Uh, and I intend to be at the White House tomorrow for the signing of the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. So we are staunch supporters. It's another tool in the toolbox, Mike. 
It's another tool. So is infrastructure construction. Michael, as we look out to the future, there is going to be a pile of construction here on infrastructure projects after that infrastructure and job acts of last year. On the shipping side, you and, and Mr. Soroka discussed some of the ways you think deploying those dollars could help. Could you outline a few of those for me here? Where do you mention that intersection between rural and urban? How can we use these infrastructure dollars to, to bridge that gap a little better? We need to do more to strategically place inland, inland facilities uh, for trucks, chassis, containers, a nexus, a, an increased connectivity, I like to think about, Mike. We need to have increased connectivity across all modes of transportation, rail, uh, trucks, and get the containers filled and get those containers returned quickly from the importers so that we can fill them with products and facilitate the connection back to the various ports along the coast, east, west, south, uh, north, uh, so we can get those on the water and get those to our customers. Uh, again, Mike, we shipped to 141 countries, uh, our IDFA members did last year. Uh, last year was a record year for exports. So we need to have increased connectivity. We need to digitalize these containers and and so when we know where an empty is we know when it's filled we know where it is in transit uh we know when it arrives to our customers because reliability is key when people are purchasing our dairy products they count on them being there because they need them to make their own products and serve their own customers and i like it to when you check into today when you check into your flight and you check your bags you can track exactly where your bags are. You know they loaded on the plane. You know they made the connection. You know they're in the baggage claim. We should have that for our exports. So we're encouraging a digital freight portal system, and we're discussing that with USDA, DOT, and the White House uh, uh, Coalition on uh, Logistics. That is fascinating. The ability to watch containers move around the world would be an incredible tool in the tool belt of global shippers. Michael, IDFA has continued to, to champion this effort for the past two years. No doubt you'll continue to do that for the future. Can you tell our listeners how can they keep up with the work that you're doing in this space? Probably the best place, uh, uh, Mike, would be to, to our website. We, uh, we have a, a supply chain task force which we created back in November of our member companies. Uh, this is a, a topic that's uh, discussed there. We gather input from them. We try to keep our finger on the pulse of what their problems are. So the IDFA website is the single best source to keep track of what we're doing. IDFA.org, ladies and gentlemen, check that out. Thanks to Michael Dykes, President and CEO. Michael, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Always a pleasure. Thanks for what you do. And folks, stick with us. Ryan Young of CEI will join us next in segment three. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. 
In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. With farmers and ranchers being only 2% of the population, agriculture actually employs over 24 million Americans. Agriculture also contributes $1.3 trillion to the national economy. There are just over 2 million farms and ranches in the U.S., averaging in size of about 400 acres, with each farm having the ability to feed 165 people around the world. These are Ag Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Looking back into the history of agriculture, the first major pork packing plant was started in Cincinnati, Ohio by Alicia Mills in the year 1818. Nicknamed the Porkopolis, 85,000 head of pigs were processed at this plant each year. This ag history is brought to you by the American Ag Network. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell. Everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in today. You know, the first two segments in this show, we heard from Secretary of Ag, Mike Nag from the state of Iowa, and Michael Dykes, President and CEO of IDFA. And both of those gentlemen mentioned that one of the challenges they're seeing in their state or in their sector is labor. And of course, folks, we are in an election year. We're in an election year when there is a lot of economic uncertainty in the air, which means we're going to see a lot of policy proposals floated over this summer and no doubt some of them will become law remaining on the books for forever. Well, joining me today to discuss this issue is Ryan Young. He's a senior fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He focuses on antitrust and also regulatory reform topics. Recently wrote an op-ed in The Hill, which I found fascinating. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today here on AOA. All right. Apologies, folks. We are getting Ryan connected. So we'll have that conversation in just a bit. I will leave it until he joins us. In the meantime, I did want to talk about some other economic data that was released this morning. Another crucial piece of information that the markets watch, and that is U.S. retail sales. They have posted their first drop in five months. Now, of course, when we're talking government numbers, there's a whole lot of information. Very little of it makes it into that headline. So that's the headline number. We saw U.S. retail sales total drop in five months for, or for, drop for the first time in five months. However, a huge component of that drop was actually in auto sales, and that pulled the overall number down. Now, that being said, we are seeing consumer demand for goods start to moderate. Here are the details. The value of overall retail sales decreased 0.3%. And uh, this is following it was up 0.7% in April. However, we saw if you exclude vehicles, sales were actually up a half of a percent this past month. So we do see those uh, those numbers being reported. We do see this inflation starting to take a toll on consumer spending. Auto sales, here's the big number. They were down three and a half percent in the month of May. Now, this certainly could be tied to the high price of gas. It's tough to get fired up about buying perhaps a new pickup truck when you're looking at, at $6.05 and $6 gas out there. Could also be a component of interest rates. We're seeing the interest rate raising happening, not just, of course, in mortgages, where it has now hit 6% in some places. We're seeing it also rise across all categories of borrowing, including credit cards and, importantly, car loans as the price of cars used and new cars has accelerated over the last uh, couple of years here throughout COVID. We are seeing buyers finance a lot more so that interest rate cost of those vehicles is climbing as well. The other thing that we're seeing is consumers are being pulled back from purchasing. This economists are estimating is likely because they are spending a little too much money on fuel and food as those prices have continued to chew through the budgets of people rather than them going out and spending more stuff, more money on Amazon for imports and so forth. And... The challenge that we're seeing in fuel prices isn't likely to get better anytime soon. As of right now, we can check the AAA price of regular unleaded hasn't set a new record since yesterday. Of course, the price across the country, national average unleaded fuel price is just over $5, 501 and a, and a half. Diesel fuel, unfortunately, folks, did set another record today, currently 
at $5.78. That's diesel across the country right there. That is an elevated price, and it has certainly caught the attention of politicians. President Biden, no exception, yesterday gave a speech, spoke with the AFL-CIO, and uh, talked about the challenges that are we're seeing in the oil sector right now. And he specifically called out oil refinery margins. In fact, President Biden said, quote, at a time of war, refinery profit margins are well above normal, and those are being passed directly on to American families. This is not acceptable. He said that in a letter sent earlier today to top oil companies. And he said that this administration is prepared to take, quote, any reasonable and appropriate steps to help companies increase output in the near term. This is coming on the heels of several politicians calling for a windfall profits tax. There are a number of different proposals out there. Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon floated one yesterday, uh, basically looking to double the tax that oil companies would need to pay on profits deemed unreasonable. And I haven't seen the full text of his proposed bill as of yet. I don't know specifically what level uh, he is going to determine would be unreasonable, but 42% would be the total tax on oil profits if this bill were to pass. And there are several other similar ones floating out there right now. And I think it's going to be tough for a lot of these oil companies to get excited about reinvesting in the space if they are being, you know, villainized, I suppose, by uh, by folks in this administration or in politics more broadly. We do see some refiners planning expansions, but this is very, very small case. Uh, Valero has, in fact, planned a shutdown of their crude unit in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, uh, we're seeing this type of action take place all across the country. And I tell you, what happens in the oil market certainly drives things year round. Um, we are seeing the impact of oil in the relationship between China and Russia. And that was reaffirmed here earlier today. President Xi Jinping held a phone call with Vladimir Putin, president of Russia. And this is the second time those two leaders have talked person to person, I mean, th through a phone, at least. This is the second time they've talked since Russia invaded Ukraine. And importantly, for folks watching how this global action could play out, China is willing to voice its support for Russia. In fact, here was the the quote from uh, Chinese President Xi. He said, quote, China is willing to continue mutual support with Russia on issues related to sovereignty, security, and issues of major concern. One of those issues of major concern to the Chinese economy is energy. Russia has been a supplier of crude oil to China. That supply has increased now that Russian crude has largely been shunned by much of the Western world. India and China are the two countries who have really ramped up their purchases of Russian crude. And that has certainly helped Putin have some some fresh dollars or fresh one at his disposal. And um, it, that certainly made him much more reliant on Russia and the impact they are having globally here in the trade. Let's see. We are still hoping to get connected with Ryan here, but it hasn't come through quite yet. We've got more headlines to talk about, folks. And this one ties in with what I had been hoping to talk with Ryan about. Caterpillar, large agricultural construction manufacturer, has announced yesterday that they are moving their headquarters from Deerfield, Illinois, one of the suburbs of Chicago, 
down to Irving, Texas. This is uh, one of several companies to make that announcement here post-COVID. And this move for Caterpillar comes only five years after they moved their corporate headquarters from Peoria, Illinois, where most manufacturing of Caterpillar products takes, takes place up to Deerfield. At the time, Caterpillar had said they wanted to be closer to the international airports that Chicago offered. They believed moving their headquarters closer to those would help them secure international business. However, they have said they are continuing to worry about the regulatory overreach in the state of Illinois, and these plans were in discussion prior, only now it makes sense for them to make the move. So as of today, uh, Caterpillar has announced they'll be moving about 240 jobs from their headquarters that's the only thing that's moving so far out of Deerfield down to Irving, Texas. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, governor of Illinois, had a quote. He said, it's disappointing to see Caterpillar move their 240 headquarters employees out of Deerfield over the next several years when so many companies are coming in. He says, we'll continue to support the 17,400 Illinoisans who work for the company. And so this is news. Again, the bulk of Caterpillar employees scattered throughout the country, but certainly concentrated there in Peoria, Illinois. Those jobs have not been impacted. This would just apply to headquarters as they move that uh, that headquarters farther south. They want to capitalize on some of the advantages that Texas brings from a regulatory perspective. That is what is happening there around the world. We are also seeing some developments as we look out at the food processing space, there was a big announcement that Fair Oak Farms is going to be building a $134 million plant. This one, uh, Prairie, excuse me, Fair Oak Foods is based in Wisconsin, but this particular meat processing plant will be built in the Davenport, Iowa area. They are a family-owned meat processor, and they've got a variety of different products, bacon, meatballs, pork, and turkey sausage they sell into the food service sector. And this is expected to bring nearly 250 jobs to that area. So that is something we will be keeping an eye on as these plants continue to get unrolled. And we're seeing a lot of, I suppose, uncertainty is the word in the international monetary markets. There is a lot of discussion right now, and a lot of it falls over my head, but the bond markets have been moving in a crazy fashion over the last little while. This has certainly begun to increase as central banks around the world have been ramping up their interest rates. The European Central Bank is one of those who has been raising rates, and that created a bit of a schism earlier this week. Monday and Tuesday saw borrowing costs soar across that 19-country currency block, and this happened after they unveiled plans last Thursday to raise interest rates, and it has caused such a furor through the international debt industry that the ECB, European Central Bank, is now working to find some ways to minimize the impact of the interest rate hikes they're putting in place. These are are really having uh, the perception is they're having exaggerated impacts in countries predominantly Italy, Spain, and Greece, countries whose names I'm sure we can recall from the last European bond kerfuffle when they were the pigs Portugal, Italy, uh, Ireland, Spain, and Greece. They had lots of trouble as rates were increasing back then. It would appear as though those similar risks are developing right now. We do see inflation continuing to have an impact on the markets here in this country. And Marie Rarnick of 20 of 210 Analytics did a little write up about the markets and she 
has found that we are seeing the widespread nature of inflation continue to dominate consumers' buying behavior at the pump. The focus on inflation is not limited to media headlines. People are noticing this really taking, taking impact on their bottom line. In fact, she had several quotes from a recent survey. She said 38% of consumers described their financial health as strained. 30% of American households said they struggle affording needed groceries. Thinking back to the fall of 2021, of course, we were fairly flush with COVID stimulus money back in the fall of 2021. At that point, less than 50% of consumers had made changes to their grocery, shop, grocery shopping patterns and choices. 77% of those consumers are now making different choices when they buy their groceries. That's an increase in 27% from last fall through to May. That's another six points higher than the April survey. At that point, 71% of consumers said they were their buying habits had changed, and it is expected that that measure is likely going to increase as we move farther and farther into the summer, and we continue to see inflation hovering here near 40-year highs. Folks, stick with us. I apologize we couldn't get Ryan Young on the program. We will have him back on. His editorial yesterday in The Hill was called, An Independent Commission Can Bypass Congressional Dysfunction and Solve the Worker Shortage. You can check that out on the Hill. And when AOA returns after this break, we're going to be talking to meteorologist Greg Solier about the dome of heat that exists over the central part of this country and the risks that could come later today. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. 
The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Hi, I'm Secretary Tom Vilsack. In my 40-plus years of experience in the ag industry, I have seen firsthand the tremendous value and influence of the census of agriculture. A complete count of our farms, ranches, and the people who operate them that tells the story of U.S. agriculture. It highlights trends, needs, and the great impact agriculture has on every American, as well as folks around the world. Ag census data also informs federal, state, and local decisions that will affect you and your operations for years to come. If you're an ag producer, no matter the size of your operation, urban or rural, and you did not receive the 2017 Census of Agriculture and did not receive other USDA surveys, you still have time to sign up to receive the 2022 Ag Census this fall. Every voice matters. To sign up or learn more, visit nas.usda.gov backslash agcensus. Thank you. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. This past week has been a struggle for both man and beast out here in the heat. I've seen several reports on social media about livestock, notably fat cattle, getting too hot in their pens. The sudden rise in heat and humidity proving too much. This has been a tough week, but I think we are getting on the downhill slope of this temperature increase. Joining me today to talk about it is ag meteorologist Greg Solier, chief meteorologist on 
this week in agribusiness. Greg, are things starting to cool off here for the central part of the U.S. going forward? That, well, yeah, Mike. Uh, good morning. Nice to be with you. Yeah, we have uh, certainly experienced a dramatic drop in temperatures here from the past couple of days across the Dakotas, outward into Nebraska with those mid-90 to some spots better than 100-degree heat. Had that through Nebraska earlier on into the week as well. Uh, but the transition has been certainly strong and is uh, doing just that this uh, morning. Showers and thunder, too. There's as much as six inches of rain around the Ankeny, Des Moines area. Those uh, strong storms are closing in on Rochester and Albert Lee east of there, at least Mason City, Iowa as well. There's an enhanced risk of severe weather in the parts of Wisconsin, Iowa, and northwest Illinois later on this afternoon. And it is a windblown, almost late winter-type storm circulating up around Saskatoon. There's some rain back into the uh, western prairie provinces. The moisture certainly is appreciated. Had someone tweet me earlier in the week of snow in between the rows of the spring wheat up across sections of uh, southern Canada as well. And a heads up on those high winds ushering in that much cooler air. Uh, centered on Bismarck, back west uh, from there into Big Sky. You know, hits the 50 and 60 miles per hour this afternoon. Testimony to the wide range of temperatures that we've experienced. The drop-off in readings and that heat wave, by the way, is uh, still lingering for the next couple of days, but centered on the eastern and southern corn belt accounts back into the southern plains. So where their soil moisture is adequate, some rapid crop growth and development. But, my friend, we are not done with the heat around here. It'll make an encore uh, performance around here uh, in the next few days. Well, Greg, before we get to that next heat wave, as this one pushes farther eastward, is there still the risk that it's going to be spinning up severe weather events through the Delta throughout the eastern coast of this country? Uh, I think we're in relatively good order. This will not be a uh, major severe weather event as it applies to a wide area of the eastern and southeastern parts of the country. I think they'll be relatively uh, quiet and unscathed. Matter of fact, the atmosphere almost too warm, too hot up aloft to generate significant uh, convection or upward momentum to make the thunderstorm activity in that delta southeastern part of the country. The eastern states may uh, later on this week get into a couple of more outbreaks of uh, strong and severe storms. Uh, some of those uh, same almost derecho-like storms that came through parts of the eastern Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, propagated through Illinois and Indiana uh, a couple of days ago with 80-plus mile-an-hour winds, uh, for example, around Chicago. Those actually did make that right turn, made it all the way into the southern mid-Atlantic region, and sort of backed up down through Georgia and the Florida Panhandle. So we don't foresee that. But that ring of fire, if you will, is still going to be into play and ultimately will regenerate another round of some intense heat and humidity around here. But a brief drop in temperature and humidity, just enough to kind of settle things down and get the livestock producers back on their toes with as well some of the same related issues going on there in the Corn Belt as we've applied here across parts of the Plain States the past few days. All right, Greg. So we're heading for this this brief respite here of coolness. When does that heat ramp back up here across the central part of the country? The central part of the country expected to uh, build back in over the course of Thursday. We'll be in the midst of uh, 95 to 105 degree heat as far north as Bismarck, Mandan. Center of the heat again, Nebraska, Corn Palace points on southward into Friday and early on into the weekend before we get another front and maybe another round of strong and severe weather in spots through parts of the eastern plains, Red River Valley, that same corridor that has been hit over time and time again this spring and early, uh, early summertime season. Uh, across uh, western Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. But that, again, not scheduled until we get into uh, the front part of the weekend. And, and that, at the same time, once we get a drop-off in temps across the northern plains, upper Midwest, that same heat and humidity pushes back across much of the Corn Belt. Uh, western sections come Sunday to Monday, eastern areas 
uh, late Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Once again, 95 to maybe 100 heat index values to 105. So if they're okay, and if you're okay in soil moisture, then, yeah, rapid crop growth and development. There are some drier spots and pockets in the parts of Illinois and Indiana, I think, that we need to be uh, watched for. Again, testimony to, you know, summertime coming? Absolutely not. Do not foresee this being something that will be long-lasting, locked in for the summertime season across a bunch of the heartland. Matter of fact, it trends China kind of busier again in the waning days of the month of June, and we're certainly as well keeping an eye on the tropical weather pattern. And I think before the month of June is over with, we've got some action that may take aim at Texas, perhaps that Delta region, and into parts of the lower Mississippi Valley. Greg, you have been in the weather forecasting business for a little while. This growing season has been a challenge, to say the least, to get started. What do you anticipate developing over the rest of the summer? Between the the numbers and the models you look at and your experience, how do you think this is going to play out for the growing season? I, th- I think we're back and forth on temperatures. They're a good part of the western Corn Belt, southern areas as well. Uh, northern reaches surprisingly should continue to get some uh, timely moisture rain. I don't think we'll end the drought in the areas west of the Missouri, but we could continue to be in good shape and still maybe too much of a good thing through the Red River Valley of the north. There's still some producers that need to get planted into parts of eastern uh, North Dakota, mind you. And uh, again, still some back and forth temperatures, maybe even trending a little cooler than average northern and eastern core belt. If you want to focus the heat, it's west of the Missouri, southern plains, with the exception of maybe the southeastern plains, delta, deep south. That's going to be a busy tropical pattern and ultimately up the eastern seaboard if you wanted extended heat and dry time probably not foreseen until mid and late summer over the eastern Corn Belt. And there'll be kind of additional timely rains and maybe, again, too much of a good thing. We're already wet. Areas that have seen this early season heat, this, again, will not be a long-lasting. This is not the way the summertime season will play out. If you wanted the intense heat, that's the central and southern plains, and that's it for that. And uh, speaking of the monsoon, we actually may get into some of that monsoon moisture as it makes its way through Mexico, uh, sections of uh, west Texas, Arizona, some of those storms may even work up their, their way to the uh, at least the eastern flank of the Rockies and the high plains areas here in the days and weeks to come, my friend. Lots of things to watch for in the weather as the growing season gets into full swing. Greg Solier, Chief Meteorologist on This Week in Agribusiness. Greg, thanks for joining us. Anytime, my friend. And folks, thanks for tuning in. Do be sure to join us tomorrow. We will have more conversations about agriculture, talking about the U.S. Cattlemen's Association annual fly-in in Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. (laughs) Do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ag Council. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info.